Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. Always excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you, even though uh, the season is slip, slip, slipping away from your Colorado Rockies, is it not? A four-game sweep at the hands of the Atlanta Bravertons. It does appear as though uh, this may be the beginning of the end for the Rockies as they now go out on the road. A very tough trip against San Francisco and San Diego uh, before returning home for more games against Cleveland and again San Diego. So it could be a real tough month of June here for the Rockies if they don't get it together and fast. And uh, yeah, it really is. uh, It's not looking good, is it? They sit there. Now at 23 and 31 on the season, eight games under 500. And again, like I said, unless something happens really, really fast, there's just no way they can even find themselves conceivably, you know, in the realm of being buyers at the trade deadline or whatever that is. We know the Rockies don't often play into that specific dynamic of buyers, sellers or or whatever. But certainly sometimes when they're in the hunt, they'll go out and get something and they're not even close to being in, in a position to be able to do that right now. So briefly again, what were the culprits? Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. This was an interesting series where in the first game and the last game, once again, just the generally bad pitching reared its ugly head. You got ugly games out of the starters in uh, today's contest. It was unfortunate because it was really the first time that Ryan Feltner had gotten knocked around after basically demanding that you, you get another look out of him. That's what happens. He gets knocked around. And in the first game of the set, you had Austin Gomber take it. And then in both games, the bullpen didn't do them a whole lot of favors thereafter. Then you had these middle two games, right? Both of which remarkably low-scoring affairs. Uh, The second game of the series being only the second game ever at Coors Field history to go scoreless into the ninth inning. And uh, the second game, I shouldn't say, the third game, don't worry, I've I've got it all. (laughs) I've got it all together in my head, don't you worry. The third game of the series then also went into extras at a very low score, this one being one-to-one. And so it was just really bizarre to see those two games back-to-back. When you go extras, those really are coin flip games, and you could say just as easily the Rockies could have and should have won those. But the way they lost in extras just gives you that much more of a pause about whether or not uh, they can turn this thing around because once they got there, it wasn't just a, hey, you know, they, they ended up losing by one. Uh, those games, even that they went into the extra innings, got kicked away so far again due to bad bullpen performance. And so as close as the last three games in the set truly were, and, you know, today's Sunday contest going down to to one run after the Charlie Blackman home run there in the ninth against Kenley Jansen. But, you know, as the old saying goes, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, right? We're deep enough into the season that close just isn't cutting it, you know, making them competitive isn't really, you know, you can't be taking moral victories at this point in these home games that you have to win when you've had these really 
you know, terrible stretches on the road. And the last homestand was bad. And now this homestand was bad. And now you've just pretty much got a full on month of not good at all baseball. And so, uh, yeah, you know, despite the fact that they, there were some good signs there, you did get a really great performance out of Kyle Freeland, who, as I had mentioned, I thought he was due for a good one. And he got a good one. You got another really good game out of Chad cool, who may even be an all-star, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. I think this team has two or three maybe legitimate all-stars, despite the fact that they're really not close to contention right now. I think uh, I've, I've talked about Tyler Kinley. I, I think Chad Cool is in that conversation. Obviously, C.J. Crone should be an all-star. So that's kind of weird and interesting. But the fact that they did get those two really good outings out of their starters is a good sign, but only if it continues. As I've said many, many times before, and we'll probably have to continue to say, it starts there. It all starts with the starting pitching. The only way for this team to get back on track at all is to get some stability in the rotation. Uh, You know, there was some hope there that maybe the rookie Feltner would be the guy who would be able to do it. That was probably a bit of pie in the sky thinking uh, and and a lot to put on somebody who's only made three or four starts in the big leagues and and to think that just because he's been mostly pretty good in those starts that he would just be able to continue to be to go out there against the defending champs as much as they've struggled this year a bit uh, it just didn't work out in his favor and so uh, it just brutal man just absolutely brutal set for the Rockies no way around it Little things that were good. Again, the back end of the bullpen, the Colome Kinley Bard faction continues to be very good. Everybody else just brutal when you send them out there. Carlos Estevez had that really rough tenth inning in game two where he had some great stuff. He's throwing at a hundred miles an hour and he's hitting the edges at times, but a wild pitch here and one right over the heart of the plate there, and you know, you end up losing the ball game. And it's been a lot of that for the Rockies this year. When one thing is going, the others aren't, right? When they score six runs, they give up 13. When they only give up one run, well, they don't score at all. And that's just kind of been this season for the Rockies. As I've said many, many times, I never expected the team to make the postseason. I do think you've got to take some solace in things like Brendan Rodgers' rebound and and breakout looking truly legitimate. Uh, Ryan McMahon quietly, I think, has been very, very solid offensively throughout the year and has shown that that was indeed a good investment. You'd need Kyle Friedland to get himself right. And, and you got to start looking at those guys who the, the team has invested in over the next couple of years who are going to be the core of the future, who are going to be the guys who are going to be you know, part of the, the solution to the problem, and then start looking at the minor leaguers who are going to be coming up over the next couple of years as well and, and how they're going to be able to plug in. Like you can't, The season's not over by any means, and there's a lot of things that can still happen for them to turn this thing around, but you got to pitch better than this. It's, it's really as simple as that. Some of the bad defense continues to be a thing, that has to stop, but it all starts out there on that mound. And if Marquez, Gomber, Freeland, and Sensatella are going to be up and down all season, then the Rockies are going to be comfortably under 500. Unless those guys, and I, I, you know, I've talked about it before. I don't want to beat the dead horse here. Uh, Bud Black was asked about it, not by me, in the last couple of days, and said that there's no current conversations going on, uh, you know, about coaching changes. Rockies don't typically do that in the middle of the season, but 
you know, I think it's something that they should consider. And I think that it's something that maybe if Bill Schmidt wants to show that he is a little bit of a different kind of GM and he's going to do things differently and he's going to do things how he thinks. He, now, I'm I'm projecting now. I'm saying how he thinks things need to be done, but I'm saying really how I think <laughs> things need to be done. But, you know, I, I think some fresh minds in here from a coaching standpoint could be what this pitching staff needs because – they're just across the board, not performing up to their abilities, to their expectations, and to their resumes. And until they do that, the rest of this stuff is very, very difficult to parse out because you've got things like Connor Joe getting on base in 32 consecutive games and and Brendan Rodgers is hitting the cover off the ball and, uh, you know, Charlie Blackman hits this big ninth inning home run and CJ Crone hits the double to, to give you an opportunity to win the game. All these things that your position players are doing up and down the roster, more or less, the position players, now not defensively, but at the plate have done their job. And if you would have told me, you know, before the season that the team was going to hit like this, I would have said, great, then they're going to have a chance at actually being pretty good. Of course, I wouldn't have known the other half of the coin, right, that the starting pitching and the bullpen. I knew the bullpen was going to be pretty bad, it would have mattered a lot less if the starting pitching was picking up a lot more innings because then you would be handing the ball to Colome Kinley and Bard a bit more often. Or the few times that you did need to go to Stevenson and Gilbreth and Estevez, they would be totally rested and at their absolute peak health. But instead, you're having to go to these guys all the time. They're getting used a lot. They're you know battling through these tough situations, and, and it's all a bit... Bah, right? So, I want to say one other thing, and this is going to be a bit of a short one, because quite frankly, you know, when it goes like this, there are a few things I want to jump into for a show tomorrow and and do a little more overview, Uh, but this series was just brutal to watch. Uh, Well, really, the first and third games were brutal to watch. Uh, First, I'm sorry, the first and fourth games were brutal to watch. The second and third games were really great to watch, but just brutal that the Rockies ended up losing them. But I wanted to talk about specifically with those another reason why, or I guess the reason why I really hate the California rule. And I'm not blaming the California rule for the Rockies losing the game. That's not what happened here in either situation. In fact, both times it basically exposed again, the exact problem we've talked about with the difference between the plus side and the minus side, right? Where the Rockies got into those extra inning games with Colum Kinley Bard, all doing a fantastic job. But then when the Rockies couldn't score in the bottom of the ninth, had to go to the 10th. And now it's just the relievers who are left over. That's what really was the problem. But I do hate the way that putting the runner out there on second base to begin extras puts so much pressure on the home team and gives such an advantage to the visitors uh, to be able to do things like any any little mistake, right, is going to be a run, essentially. A ball in the dirt, uh, an error, uh, a single, right? So you, you give up a single in... To start off any other inning, there's lots of things still in play. You get a double play, it basically washes it out, right? But now you give up a single to start off an inning, that's a run, more than likely. Or, you know, it's runners first and third, nobody out. So even if you get your double play, then that's a run, right? 
it also changes the way that you have to pitch. And I saw this especially in the Estevez game because he got the first out on a fly to, to like medium deep center. So the runner wasn't able to advance to third, right? So you go, okay, cool. That's the big one. Because in order to get the run in without a hit, you need to move them over on that first at bat. And so Atlanta failed to move them over. Excellent news for Estevez, right? Then comes the wild pitch. Now, if there's nobody on pace on base, no such thing as a wild pitch, right? That's just a ball in the dirt that the batter didn't swing at. But in this case, it moves a guy into scoring position. Then he got a little wild. There were walks and, and hit batsmen. And again, a wild pitch would score to run, which wouldn't have been there. And he, he definitely, again, like I'm saying, there, there's two things at play here. His own wildness is absolutely at play, but you're pitching far more carefully now than you would be because you've got a runner at third and you're really trying hard not to let it score because if you don't let that run score, you've given your team an, an incredible chance to win the game in the bottom of the 10th. So he's pitching that much more carefully where if he's got a runner at first and one out, you're a double play away from that inning ending. Really, no harm, no foul. And it's far different than having the runner at third. So then you start gearing up and amping up and trying to pitch for the strikeout because a weak ground ball, like weak contact, is potentially very good for them in that situation. It's going to give them a lead before you've, especially in a game where there's been no scoring where neither team has been able to get a guy past second base. Now Atlanta has one without the benefit of a hit. And the pitcher on the mound is pitching for a strikeout, which is what he really should be doing. And that's where he gets overamped. And and actually, he did get the strikeout of the batter. He just threw the wild pitch first, right? And that's a killer. But only with the California rule in effect. And again, how much do does the approach change because there's a runner on third versus just a runner on first and all of that? But again, for me, I feel like it's just a big advantage for the road team, especially if it's a low scoring game like this. If if it's one of these other ones, you know, like the Rockies ended up winning that one that was 13 to 12 on the Brendan Rodgers walk off, like some of those I don't know that there is as much of an advantage for the road team, but in a game like this where neither team was able to mount a rally and now Atlanta is able to basically bring a run across the board that wouldn't have been anything at all without the California rule. You know, they hadn't gotten a hit yet. This was after, uh, you know, Estevez had walked Acuna. I kept wanting to say Albies, and I knew it wasn't Albies. It was Ronald Acuna. It was a long at-bat. It was a really good at-bat from both guys, and it was a great walk from Acuna on the 10th pitch of the at-bat. But that should be, okay, one-out runner at first. Wild pitch doesn't score a run. It moves a guy to second. You know what I mean? And so... You know, all that happens, and then Buddy goes to Lucas Gilbreth, who gives up a left-on-left base hit to Matt Olson. They score a pair, and they end up winning 3-1. to one. But for me, that that initial pressure of, 
not uh, again a game where neither team had been able to come through with runners in scoring position they hadn't really been able to get runners into scoring position and then you give the team starting with zero outs that opportunity it's almost an automatic run scored and it puts that much extra pressure on the home team because you have to respond and yeah i've i've always hated the california rule i understood it during the pandemic i know that you know it's something that the players ultimately agreed to coming back into the season with all the cbas and i know that excuse me with all the cba negotiations and i know that people you know, pretty much across the board, hate the long baseball games and and managers and players and owners and and most fans and all media hate it. But there's got to be a better way of deciding extra inning baseball games than just fundamentally reworking one of the most difficult elements of scoring runs in baseball. And I thought that was one of the most perfect examples of it. Again, the game goes into extra zero, zero, make somebody prove they can earn a run. And instead Atlanta's just gifted one. And now the Rockies have to play with their, their, you know, proverbial backs against the wall. And should they have played better in that situation? Could they have actually executed? Could Carlos have gotten his strikeout and won the situation anyway? And then the Rockies just need their one run. He was a strike away from getting out of the entire thing a couple of times. Right? So yes, of course there's still that element where it's on the players to go out and play. But the whole point of designing rules is to ask yourself at the end of the day, given the probability that these two teams, any two teams are going to be roughly equally matched, especially in a game that's going into extras. How should the rules be applied to make sure we get to the fairest conclusion and giving one team an extraordinary advantage to be able to score first when no scoring has been taking place to me, it's just, yeah, it's bad rule for a lot of reasons. And that was the perfect example of one of them right there where we were no longer playing the same baseball game, right? It should have, the team that won that game should have been the team that finally broke through with the back-to-back hits because neither team had been able to come up with back-to-back hits essentially. And still nobody did. Atlanta did not get back-to-back hits. They got one hit from Matt Olson that brought in the, the big runs and it was all they needed because of the California rule, right? That's where it's frustrating. So beyond that, the Rockies play has been frustrating. It has been extraordinarily frustrating, maybe because the universe is funny and baseball is hilarious. They go on a California road trip and rediscover themselves. That would be a fun and interesting and different story for me to be able to write. I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't go run into the sports books and betting on the Rockies to win a bunch of games on this road trip to California, but who knows? Uh, they, they just, you know, are they keeping their heads above water if they win one game in each place, which again seems most likely and would be holding serve for what they've done out on the road. I don't know, folks. You're 10 games under 500 plus at that point. It's getting ugly fast, but I'll always be here. I'll be here to see what happens next. I know you'll be here to see what happens next. 
So stay absolutely awesome out there. I'll stay absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.